Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Otto Kelly, a record-holding NCAA former university football player and former NFL-drafted running back, today leads the Dad Academy. Doug interviews Otto as he shares his remarkable story, from dealing with loss and father wounds to being a high-level athlete now dedicated to rescuing the unborn. After this episode, check out our show notes on your favorite streaming platform and visit awardinseasonpodcast.org. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. I've got a dear friend, a champion, a Gabor for God, a hero for God, but in many ways, he's a man's man. And so I'm excited to have Otto Kelly, longtime friend, co-laborer in the faith, is my guest today. You've been recognized by so many different diverse groups of people, awarded you for various things. You've been consultant, you've been an advisor, but yet at the same time, your life speaks louder than the words of men or women spoken about you. And I appreciate that with you. We served together in the, the Global Fatherhood Initiative. We also served together in the Christian Men's Network Worldwide. Right. And of course, I've followed you and have been a guest of yours on your Dad Academy. It's a great honor to have you with us today, Otto. Thank you, brother. Honor's mine, really. So I was looking at your brief bio on your Dad's Academy. And yeah. I just want to read a portion of that because sure. it'll segue into some conversations that I think will encourage people because I think we've all gone through some of these things. But one is Otto losing his father at an early age of cancer caused a deep father wound. I know so many people that is so true, either it's through cancer or through absentee fathers or disengaged fathers. Many do carry in our culture today a fatherlessness or a father wound due to the absenteeism of their fathers, regardless if it's through cancer or through death in the military or if yeah. it's through, uh, absenteeism in other ways. I know for my life, it took years for me to even understand the love of a heavenly father when I had no earthly comprehension of an earthly father because of the challenges I had with my dad and stepdad, both career military, both mm -hmm. honorable men when it right. came to serving God and family. But yet I had no real relationship at times mm -hmm due to the things that they had stuffed because of the of Vietnam War. And my biological father served in Korean War and in the Vietnam War. And so it was very difficult until years later that I wished I could say to them now how much I respect them. And even though I didn't understand them, I respected what they were going through at the time. And so everybody has a reasoning on why they have father wounds. What caused you to start the Dad's Academy because of those root issues of these father wounds? It's a kind of a funny story, but I, I believe a, a story that um, uh, has been, has the handprint of God all over it. You know, uh, several years ago, I'm talking like maybe 12 years ago, I was really kind of frustrated in the area of ministry, honestly, you know, pastoring and the, the church life, you know, having uh, been, you know, backstabbed and dogged and, you know, all the stuff. So I don't want to get no, into that. that doesn't happen, does it? Nothing, nothing like that happened. And uh, I was done, man. I was getting ready in Reno, Nevada. We were getting ready to move from Re back from Reno back to Vegas. And I was going to start a, um, a gym. Everything just fell through and it just, just didn't work out. And so it was a time of like, I think, uh, rebuilding. Well, God just re really rebuilt some things in my life. Uh, there were certain certain portions of theology that I had, I had wrapped around, false theology, honestly, that had wrapped around my foundation of my relationship with God. And so he had to do some things in order to get that stuff off me. Me and my bride, we went through some uh, really trying times. Praise God that 
the nucleus of our marriage just got stronger in the midst of it. There was never a time where we blamed each other. We recognized that, hey, God is doing something. So I was doing odd jobs. I'm talking like I was doing a, a security guard, a, a night uh, club door host, where I just basically bounced. So you had, you had guys and, and ladies that would attend some of the churches that God had allowed me, allowed me to be a part of to be there, to come to these clubs sometimes. They go, Pastor Otto, what, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm trying to put food on the table. But the question is, what are you doing here? <laughs> and uh, just great conversations would break out. Anyway, point is, a friend of mine calls me. He says, uh, Pastor friend, he says to me, says, hey, uh, Otto, I don't know, but I'm just feeling this is God. But there's an opening for a crisis pregnancy center in, in Reno, Nevada for an executive director. And I said, man, please, Crisis Pregnancy Center, me, it doesn't fit. It wouldn't go away. I wrote a letter of interest because they had a couple of uh, letters out uh, uh, claiming that they needed somebody as an executive director. So anyway, so I put it in there. And about two weeks later, they contacted me. They said, we'd like to have you come in for an interview. And I'm still thinking, this is okay, yeah. And my thought was something, doing something other than casino stuff and bouncing and, and nightclub stuff you know, as a believer, you just go, man, it's not the atmosphere. Uh, and I'll explain that later, but I go in for the interview. And Doug, before I knew it, the Holy Spirit hit the joint. He hit the place. And so that was a confirmation that, okay, at least I'm on the right track of what I believe the Father wants me to do. So about another two days, three days go by and they contact me again and say, hey, you wanted the finalist. We need to interview you one more time. So I said, okay, cool. So I go in, same thing. I mean, the Holy Spirit lift the joint up. I'm going, okay, Father, I'm feeling this. Okay, I'm feeling you. But I got hired and I knew nothing. So during the process of uh, considering this job prior to even being hired, I started doing research, just started doing my homework, just doing, doing things. And I go, wow, okay, I see, what, I see what's happening. And so they, they hire me and say, okay, you're it. About a month into it, just trying to get my feelers down. God really hit my heart. Men, get to the men. And because there was nothing, absolutely, any, anything going on for guys. Nothing, absolutely nothing. So I said, okay, God, what are we doing? And uh, make a long story short, start connecting uh, some men with the Christian Men's Network. Took a couple guys through uh, Maximized Manhood curriculum. A couple of guys got uh, commissioned. But in addition to that, God really started helping me put some things together. Because a lot of these guys, 99.9% uh, .9 of the guys coming through the doors have no clue of who Jesus is or what he is or where, he at, where he's at, anything. We recognize the whole point is we have to be pro-love. You love on these knuckleheads when they come through the doors, man. For some that may be listening, they're thinking, now what executive director of a crisis pregnancy center, you think mostly women. Yeah. Now you're talking about dealing with the men that come through. So that, this is a unique approach here of getting at another route here, aside right. of some of the optics or the narratives that we hear out there. Yeah, the girl didn't get uh, pregnant by herself. The whole idea was to attempt to help men recognize their responsibility. Because unfortunately, in our world that we're living in, you know, the role models to show them what it's like to be a good man, a good father, are few and far between. As a matter of fact, we'd have, uh, we got these stats down that close to 70% of the guys that came through the doors had very little uh, connection with their biological dad. Mm -hmm. So the probability of these guys recognizing what, it, what it's like to be a good dad was nil to none. And so because of that, we developed this whole uh, department for nothing but dads. So because of that, it began to expand. So it kind of blossomed past our clients. Uh, we began to receive interest from jails to Washoe County uh, Human Resources, uh, where they have like several hundred open cases of fathers trying to get reengaged with their kids. 
And so we're kind of like serving as a, uh, I don't know, as a, as, a, as a workshop and a mentoring program specifically designated to help these guys get reengaged with their kids. Well, when you got out of the University of Nevada playing ball there and, and sports, and but you also began to do a, have a lifelong career in public service. So you've been a consultant as a gang specialist outreach coordinator for the Washu County Department of Juvenile Services mm-hmm. and so many other things you got involved in. So this was a natural fit that God was already providentially setting things in place for what you're doing. Yeah, you know, and it was interesting because again, uh, unfortunately, I and mean, this is this is back in the late 80s, uh, 90s and uh, 2000 where where I, I started doing that career and the same principle applied, man. Very little guys that were on my caseload had anything to do with their dads. And so they kind of swooped on you. I didn't know that's what I was doing. I was just trying to serve them and help them and 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 vicariously really helped me be a uh, and I, I would say this only because my sons say this, that, you know, uh, dad, you've always been a great dad. And it's mm-hmm. not because um, anything I was doing other than seeing what these guys needed out there. And when I would present that to them, I would vicariously serve and, and father my sons in a way that I'm trying to serve these knuckleheads that are out in the street. It just kind of morphed into it, you know, and, and pretty soon uh, it became a, a fixture where guys recognize, okay, man, if you have any issues with your, with your kids or your wife, you need to go talk to Ott, man. I've watched and I know your family and I know that they truly see you as one who's been a great dad, but somewhere there had to be a transition because for you to be able to help others who have a father wound or have areas of not knowing how to be godly men, uh, there had to be something that happened in your life that that triggered that saying, you know what, I need to delve into, I need to dig in to know how to be a man, how to be a husband, how to be a father, how to be a, a friend, how to be a pastor, how to be you know, what you do, because so many people look to you, even now, so many look to your leadership. In fact, I know that even throughout parts of Nevada, they're still calling on you to, to be involved in all kinds of different committees. I know you've been awarded by the NAACP. And with all the divisiveness we see in the world today, God's given you an ability to bridge some gaps by staying to the point, not losing your convictions, but even right. in your convictions, representing the gospel in a way and I use that term, good news, yeah. because God has used you on every spectrum, politically and in other ways, and ethnically, of getting people to understand that there's some real root issues that we need to deal with if we're going to see any healing. I think personally, for me, it was uh, two things that happened. You know, after my, my dad died when I was in middle school, of course, you know, after we got the news, older brother told me and I just started crying, started losing it and whatnot. And when my mother was alive, she was just had this personal and awesome relationship with God. It was from her that I recognized that God is personal. It's not this religious kind of like far, you know, someone far seated uh, looking down upon you, but no, he, he's tangible and he's real. And so I got frustrated with God after my dad died. I got really mad. And the anger that, that got me was that God, you are almighty, you're powerful. You could have healed my dad, but you didn't. And because you didn't heal my dad, I don't have a dad. And then I said this to God, but I didn't know what I was doing. Doc, I had no clue what I was doing. But I said, because I don't have a dad and you could have prevented it, you're my dad. I didn't ask to be here. I didn't ask to be born, but I'm here. And because I'm here, uh, you have to help me. And that was the, the beginning process of my conversion. A lot of guys, you know, I've learned have gotten angry and didn't want to have anything to do with God. But I blamed him because from what I saw, what, what I've seen as a, as a young man growing up with my mother and just being the way that she, she was, I saw that he was real. 
and you could have done something and you didn't. So it's not my fault that my dad's dead and it's not my fault that I've been born. So because it's not my fault that my dad's dead and I didn't choose to be born, you made sure that I'm here. So that means that you're responsible. And it was amazing to me, just the brute honesty. Uh, I didn't know that. All I know is I was angry. But that began the process of having, honestly, God really be the only father I've ever known. Uh, then he showed me, okay, now this is what you do. And, and, and I don't mean by, okay, tangibly speaking. But he would put individuals in my life that would really, he would father me through them. And so because of that, um, he helped me recognize that uh, I'm his son. And because I'm his son, I can teach other sons how to be sons. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's one thing, you know, to try to teach a, a, a son how to be a man, that, you know, responsibility. But when you teach a son how to be a son, then that can't, you can't help but to translate that into biblical masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, because Jesus never said, okay, um, I'm a powerful man. His, his claim to fame was that he was God's son. And when he, when he claimed that he was God's son, every masculine thing that was ever done positively by anyone was, was culminated in the goodness of Christ. And he claimed to be God's son. When we allow ourselves to be submissive to the father, then we, uh, then we are able to be uh, transformed into, again, his son so that he can live his life through us. And this fatherless generation desperately sees that. They, they need it and they see it and they don't know what it is. All they know is they want it. It, it. It's interesting, bro, real quickly, that when young ladies would come through those doors at that pregnancy center, the idea that they saw uh, what they considered to be a father figure, a masculine figure, not looking at them with wanting eyes, not looking at them wrong, but looking at them with love from a, from a father's heart. It changed everything. The whole atmosphere of the center changed because they're expecting judgment. They're expecting you know, to see dead fetuses. They're expecting to see those things. But when they saw someone, hey, I don't know what got you here, right? And because I don't know what got you here, I can't, I can't judge you. I don't know what's going on. All I know is you're here. And because you're here, we're going to love you. And we're going we're gonna to do what we believe Christ would have us do. And that's to be there for you. I, I can't make decisions for you. I won't make decisions for you. All I'm simply saying is that we love you and we got your back. I'm telling you, Doug, that changed, Doc, that changed everything. Because they were looking for judgment and all they found was love. And then they were able to make the, the right decision. Because of many of those right decisions based on you being that tangible expression, you and your team of Christ's love that many of them made the right choices or the biblical choices. And if they couldn't take care of their children, they would offer them up for adoption. And, and you helped them through the whole process. It wasn't just about this is right or this is wrong. This is about no. here we are. We're here for you. That's it. That's it. It's like, I think one of the things I really love about Jesus is that depending on the audience, he would adjust his vocabulary depending on who he was talking to. And so if he was talking to fishermen, he adjusts his conversation or adjusts his vocabulary to, so that they can get it. If he's talking to Pharisees, he'd adjust it. If he's talking to a woman caught in adultery, he'd adjust it. So for me, it's like we can't have this uh, stoic kind of like, this is biblical and that's it. No, you adjust it in such a way to where people can get it. You don't think that you're denying Christ by not saying John 3.16. No, if you live John 3.16, people will see it. And then they're going to walk, then they ask the question. My, one of my biggest uh, sayings, uh, Doc, is this. Ever since I became born again, I always wanted to live my life in such a way to where it demanded an explanation. I wanted people to know, why in the world are you doing that? And then if they, if they really want to know, I tell them. 
but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to go door to door and try to uh, try to uh, push the gospel down your throat. No, I'm gonna live it in such a way to where you're gonna smell him, you're gonna want him, you're gonna see him, and then when I present it, it's like, oh, that's why. So yeah, so for me, I've learned that um, it, it's living it before you even say anything. And then when Paul tells us that we are to God the aroma of Christ, spreading abroad the knowledge and fragrance of him everywhere, that means that everywhere I go, I smell like my dad. So that means that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an effect. Either someone's going to get a premonition of death, or they're going to smell the sweet aroma of life. And I, and I respond accordingly. But I don't get frustrated with them, get mad with them, get angry with them, because it's not my fault. They're smelling something, and they want it, or they don't want it. So I don't take it personal. I just recognize I smell like my father. So, yeah, it, it's, we, we make it complicated. It's real simple. I love that scripture in 2 Corinthians 2.14 that to some were an aroma of a fragrance of heaven, so to speak. Mm-hmm. To others were repelling, but it's not our fault. No. But we are called to be dispensers or sprayers of the, the fragrance of heaven. So yes, I love that as a reminder to me that no matter what situation I'm in, that if the Lord's presence is with me, my responsibility is just to, to have a fragrance of heaven, regardless of if it's received or not. That's it. You talked about uh, even how the Lord had tangibly said, when you talked to God, said, look, I didn't choose to be born. I didn't choose to take my dad away. So you got to be my dad. And I remember a time when I, it was probably 1989 or so. I was really even being, being in ministry at that point for almost nine years. And and I remember Dr. Ed Cole had contacted me and said, Doug, hey, I need you to come up and meet me in Dallas for the this men's event for fathers and sons. And I was going through it and I had an attitude. And I said to Dr. Cole, I said, no, Dr. Cole, I can't make this one. He goes, Doug, you need to be here. I said, Dr. Cole, really, I can't be there. I was having a pity party. It was one of those times where God put someone in your life like a Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole. And he just looked at well, on the phone. And he, I, could, I could just see him say, Doug, you need to be here. I heard that. I hear that voice. So that nudge, right? And so I ended up going, not wanting to be there. But while I was at this gathering with Ben Kinchlow and Ed Cole at an arena in Dallas, watching all the fathers and sons running to the altar to embrace one another, I was happy for them. But then I began to be sad, saying, wait a minute, how come I don't have that? Right. That's where the Lord began to speak to my heart. It wasn't audible, but I felt this deep sense of God's presence when he says, I can be tangible. And then I was reminded of what happened when Jesus was being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. The heavens rendered open. It says the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, and God's voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. That's like God's opening up the heavens saying, that's my boy. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized it in Colossians 1.12 later that through Christ, it says, we give thanks to God, to the Father who has qualified us. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on to say, because of the Son of His love. And I realized that through Christ, my Heavenly Father is looking at me through His Son and saying, that's my boy. That's right. You can do this. That's right. And so oftentimes I found that encouragement from God the Father, who I didn't really comprehend, even as a Christian, until that moment where God began to speak to me that He could be tangible. Right, that's good. Speaking of that scripture, you know, God told him three things. You're my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. And what happens right after that? He's led by the spirit into the desert, pretending out of the enemy. And, and, and the first thing that the enemy goes after is uh, Jesus' identity. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. And that's what happens with uh, most uh, men. The enemy will ask, ask that question. If you are son of God, why are you looking at that porn site? If you're a son of, if you're a son of God, why are you doing this? If you're a son of God, and, and, and so many times we think our behavior 
uh, has uh, something to do with our relationship with God. And his love for us is, is it's not going to stop. We are under the assumption that if we perform a certain way, then, okay, you're pleased with me. No, he looks at you uh, before you do anything and say, you're, I'm pleased with you because you're my son. And I think many times because of that lack of identity, uh, we look at a lot of believers look at the Lord as a, uh, a taskmaster, that he's going to give you a pink slip. No, you got to understand something. You are co-heirs with Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places, which means you have the best view of heaven, that God said you're in Christ. And so like you're saying, he, he looks through Christ and sees you and go, no, 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 you, you are spotless and blameless and free from accusation. Yeah, there, there are times you're going to blow it. There are times you're going to mess up. Now, there are times when we do blow it. All it does is, is messes up <laughs> our fellowship, but not our relationship. So many times we, we, our fellowship is, okay, I got to go do something or put myself in jail for a few minutes or a few days, a few months so that I can feel better about myself. And once I think I've served enough penance and I'll come out. But uh, the thing I try to explain to the guys uh, is that, listen, the best thing that you can do when you blow it is listen to me. Do go, you, I don't care how you feel, you go before him. So you can tell him what you feel. Father, I feel as if you're going to reject me, but your word says, and you will do what your word says, not according to what I feel, but who you are. And man, it just changes things. So recognizing that is, I think, the bottom line to have, that no one can talk me out of the true fact that um, I'm his son and he loves me. You have a unique perspective or you have a unique capacity of influence because partially of your own testimony, but also uh, you've, you've had to be involved in various things dealing with cultural issues. Yeah. Obviously, God has really used you in areas of diversity, counseling, prevention of at-risk youth, gangs, uh, because you, again, don't look at the compensatory facade on the outside. You're digging in for the root that causes this outward manifestations. You know, I always tell people that drug addiction or alcoholism or these other things, promiscuity, those are external expressions of something going on on the inside. Yeah. If we can get to the root of it, and that's what you've been able to do, and that's why you're uniquely qualified and gifted in the areas of even dealing with racial reconciliation or dealing with generational reconciliation. You've lived through quite a bit. You've obviously lived through a lot of situations, but yet you've been able to keep your focus and your perspective and one of the three things that I feel like the Father wants to give to us, and I wrote about this over the years, is that the Father, Heavenly Father, wants to give us perspective, peace, and purpose. I know Dr. Bishop Dale Bronner, our mutual friend, and I were ministering together. I was ministering for him in Atlanta. We were just talking about how many people, even professing to be Christians, even friends we knew, that are not finishing the race well. He looked at me and thought, you know, that's so true that some people we know that are just not finishing well. And he goes, maybe it's because their passion for Christ is not greater than their passion for the things of this world. Yeah. And ultimately that's true, isn't it? When, if we lose our passion, mm -hmm. then we will lose our place of perspective, lose the peace that God has, and we will lose our purpose. Right. How do you maneuver through all this, especially in the divisiveness that we're living in today? And, and of course, obviously, you're, you're, you are, as many of us, we believe in, in choosing life from the womb to the tomb. And, and yet there's a lot of pandering going back and forth and fodder that's going back and forth and media fodder and comic fodder. And then we have people fighting on so far uh, different spectrums. But there's some real issues here that need to be addressed. How do you maneuver through all that in the culture in which we're living? 
at the same time, not wavering from your biblical convictions and the plumb line that God has given you. That's, that's great, brother. That's great. I, I think for me, again, it goes back to what we mentioned earlier, is that, you know, depending on the setting, um, you, you adjust the conversation in such a way to, or you adjust the vocabulary in such a way to where it's not visceral. Um, we're supposed to be polite. We're supposed to be patient. We're supposed to have long suffering. We're supposed to do those things. And somehow we think because there's a position that we hold dear, that somehow we can throw those fruits of the spirit out the window. And you can't do that. You just simply have to be who you are. And, and you are a son or a daughter of God. And because of that, you're endowed with the spirit of God. And because you're endowed with the spirit of God, you have the fruits of the spirit. I think many times we get passionate. Not, not that passion is bad. What I'm saying is we get more passionate about a situation than we do about our father. And when we get more passionate about a situation, then that situation becomes an idol. And we begin to worship that, 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 that thing. What I'm saying is, is that what I've learned um, is that I have never, I haven't walked in that person's shoes. I, I don't know what they've dealt with. I don't know the type of background. I don't know the type of terrible circumstances perhaps they've been in. And so because I don't know the whole story, it's my responsibility to love them. That's it. I know it seems increasingly uh, difficult to do, but when we submit ourselves, just me now, just personally, when I submit myself to the spirit of God and say, okay, God, you tell me in, in, in Psalms that every day of my life had been ordained before one of them came to be, which means that this circumstance, you already have uh, uh, allowed me to walk in this circumstance. So I submit myself, just like uh, Solomon told us in, in Proverbs 3, acknowledge God in all that you do and he'll direct your paths. Also, in scripture, when it talks about praying without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In every circumstance, because it's different. Every circumstance is unique. Every person is different. Well, I submit to the Spirit of God. So, okay, God, I didn't ask to be in this joint. I, I didn't ask to be an executive director of a crisis pregnancy center, but you have me here. I submit to your Spirit. And it's amazing to me, Pastor. It's amazing to me, Doc, how in whatever circumstance happens, He maneuvers it. He does it. When we, when we give Him the reins, when we allow him and submit ourselves to his lordship, it's amazing to me. It's, it, I know it, it, it sounds powerfully uh, simple because it is. My will in each circumstance is of no significance. It's his will. And so when I submit to that and say, okay, Father, whatever it is that you're calling me to say or do, I give it to you. And that's why I believe it's no uh, strategy on my part. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you got to be wise in some areas. But what I'm simply saying is every circumstance, okay, dad, this is yours. So tell me what to do. What did Jesus say? I only go where you tell me to go. Only say what you tell me to say. Only do what you tell me to do. And so for me, that is the ultimate definition of sonship. Submit myself to in every circumstance to him so that he can live his life through me. And it's, it's amazing to me how you're able to come to some common ground with uh, individuals that don't agree with what you, what, what you, what you view. Um, but I think the, you know, the approach for me have been just a little different. What I mean by that is that we have a lot of pro-lifers and that's, we, that's good. But, but unfortunately, they're more pro-birth than they are pro-life. We have to save the baby and okay, well, we make sure that if they choose to go down that road and, and have that baby, we're going to be there for them. We're going to, whatever we need to do to help, whatever, whatever that is. So um, our heart is, you know, um, like you said, from the womb to the tomb. We're going to be in their lives. And, and I think that's the difference um, because you just cannot 
when, when the love of God is in the room, when the love of God is in the atmosphere, you can try as much as you want. You cannot, you cannot ignore the love of God. I've, I've, I'm gangsters. I'm talking somebody, some guys who, who, who bust in the room, shoot you in the head, eat breakfast. You know what I mean? Get redeemed because of his presence. Is, I'm telling you, because they, they don't know, but they've been looking for that all of their lives. And once they, once they get that, they're open. You know, and it passes the scripture, and you can help me, Doc, where it's at. Remember when Jesus got off the boat and he, he, he dealt with the demoniac? And he got off the boat and they run to him. And he runs, the, the guy runs to him and uh, begs him, hey, can you cast the don't, what are you doing here, basically? And then Jesus, Jesus said, okay, go. Make a long story short, what got me, what got me, the whole thing is that it didn't matter how many demons were in that man. When he saw what he wanted, when he saw life, those demons couldn't keep him away from Jesus. They could not keep him away because he saw life. And I feel the same principle with sons and daughters of God. When we submit ourselves to the spirit of God, it doesn't matter what has been harassing people. When they see him, and when they see what they've been wanting their whole life, what they've been longing for, no demon in hell can keep them away. And that's my, my, my thought. Just die to yourself. There are things I want to do. There's things I want to say. I mean, you know, but what good is that going to do? That's just going to add to the confusion. So just shut up, submit, and say, okay, Dad, you, Holy Spirit, this is you. And it's amazing to me, bro, what happens. Yeah, you were saying, and I love this term, atmosphere, because I can see your boys, um, you know, even though at times in life when our kids grow up or, or those that we influence are, are spreading their wings, they may not always do what we expect them to do. Mm -hmm. But because you've created an atmosphere, you and your wife have created an atmosphere mm. of, of discipling them, of speaking into their lives, but also setting examples mm. and parameters. In the, and so it's giving them life lessons by watching you. Yeah. And so I can imagine sometimes your boys are probably out there doing stuff and they're going, dad, get out of my head, <laughs> right? Get out of my head. You're always in my head, you know, yes, sir. an atmosphere. If we can do the same thing with the gospel of, of, of Christ and a relationship with our heavenly father, then no matter where people begin to spread their wings, God's not going to get out of their head. He's in their head. I remember when I was living in sin and I was trying to justify my sin Sir, I couldn't get those convictions out of my brain. My heart was still being touched, mm -hmm. even in the midst of my most decadent times and before I became sold out for the Lord. Right. And I think that if we create those kinds of atmospheres, you know, just like your boys and just like, you know, those that you've been able to mentor, he's in my head. Otto's yeah. in my head. Get out of my head, Dad. <laughs> and I think if we can do the same, create that atmosphere of God's presence, right. then he will do the work because it's God who does the work. It's not us. Yeah. We're just able to be the donkey that God gets to use yes, to create the, create the environment for which God can move. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly, and, then, and I think that's that's the I really do believe that's the key. Um, you know, um, is it, it, simply submitting and saying, "Okay, uh, you know, it, it belongs to you." And from that standpoint, he begins to just unfold things in the lives of people so that you can speak to that. And the majority of people, you know, as well as I do, especially men, they, they want to be affirmed. They want to have significance. You know, they, they, they want that affirmation. And, and uh, you know, despite um, maybe the, the behavior, they're, they're, they're looking to receive that. And that's, that's one of the, the uh, symptoms of a father's, father wound, where you go out and you look for affirmation. You look for significance because you didn't receive it uh, growing up. And so you, you, want, you want to have some type of identity. And, 
you know, many guys unfortunately have done some pretty uh, ugly things in order to obtain that uh, that uh, affirmation. How in a moment? In a moment, I want to talk a little bit about what's on your heart, but also uh, why you created the Dad's Academy. But I, I want to just read a couple of things here because, um, as I alluded to earlier, you've received a plethora of awards. Uh, like, for example, the NAACP Youth Services Award, the Northern Black Cultural Awareness Society Community Service Award, mm -hmm. a mayoral, uh, a mayoral proclamation naming May 27th, 2010 as Pastor Otto Kelly Day. Mm -hmm. And that's just to name a few. Uh, you continue to serve as a consultant and, and religious service co coordinator and consultant for the Washoe County Department of Juvenile Justice or mm -hmm. Juvenile S Services. And for many, many years, as you've led not just a crisis pregnancy center, but the regional executive director for a group of crisis pregnancy centers. So God has really put you in some unique situations mm. of having a voice instead of abdicating your influence by disengaging with some that maybe you would disagree with. Right. You've been able to have a seed of voice in various areas of the community, but ultimately you always put, point them back to the father in heaven. You always point them back to the Lord. And that's what I've always appreciated about you. In the midst of running these crisis pregnancy centers, how did you come up with this great vision of the Dad's Academy? And then also, how can people find out more about it? We would see guys coming through the doors. And so what we did was I grabbed maybe a half dozen of my friends. I said, I need a favor, man. I need for you to just come and, and spend some time at the center. Don't do anything. Just come and sit. Bring your book, bring your iPad, just hang. What happens with a lot of these centers is that guys come through the doors expecting to experience estrogen. They're expecting to be put in a corner and just like, hey, let me help her. And you just sit over there and be quiet. Because unfortunately, in some areas, guys have been poo-pooed when they've walked through some areas. Uh, I guess feminine help. Anyway, so what we did was is we immediately allowed guys to feel testosterone when they first walked through the doors. We put, you know, different uh, men paraphernalia on, on the walls and, you know, magazines and stuff that's appropriate. And pretty soon these guys are recognized it's not for her. When that guy walks through the door and sees another man, he recognizes that he's not alone. He feels as if, okay, I thought I was going to go to a whole foreign uh, country, a whole foreign planet, but I see a guy. And before you know it, they begin to have just a conversation. You know, and some of them are fathers, some, some of the guys that are, that are uh, volunteer, their fathers, some of them are, you know, granddads, whatever. Point is, is that now he's not alone. And so that strikes up a conversation. What I did was I developed, a, uh, I turned my office into a man cave. So all kinds of men stuff. So guys could come in, sit down, talk. I'm, I'm talking like all the above. So, so when we did that, when we, we put this man cave together, it, it just, it just changed the whole place. And having guys be able to, um, to talk with other men. And then they developed relationships and then they would be able to exchange numbers. It just, it became a brotherhood and it began to expand. And, and so, you know, I guess what, what happened was is that there were several guys that came through the doors that we just kind of grabbed. And because of that, they, they saw the difference. What, what just having another guy there made and they began to spread the word. Man, you, you get your girl pregnant. Hey, you know, I don't know about these other places, but this place, they got your back, dude. And so we would, again, we'd have uh, particular uh, roundtables. We'd have guys 
uh, guys night and we just pizza and, just, and we tell them, hey, listen, sometimes, bro, you just got to get away from your from your bride. I've been married 35 years or times. I just need some brothers. Right. And this is what this is for. That's all we did. Pizza, just talk and just, man, it's just amazing to me how just a little bit of food and and some uh, 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 relationship. It's just amazing how far it goes, because frankly, we don't need that much. So when when we uh, we did that, it began to it began to blossom. And that was the main motive behind it is just to have something for guys. So what, what I did is I developed a, a training, some training videos specifically designated for guys who want to be volunteers. We would have to, have to explain some of the challenges that this generation is facing. And there was a time when, you know, if you want to go see a porn uh, movie, you'd have to go to a theater or you have to hide the, the magazines. Now they just got them on their phones. Recognizing that what they would consider to be these, this, the younger generation would consider to be a relationship is far different than what you would consider to be a relationship, the older generation. And if you don't know that coming into it, then you will say a few words and then they'll think you have, you don't have no clue what I'm talking about. So it's just trying to help educate older guys to recognize these guys are, are, are dealing with some of the same stuff, but more frequently, more potency, and it's more powerful. As a result of that, some things in their mental capacity has changed. Not that they're not intelligent, but it's changed. So if you don't know that, so we train guys into that. Because of that, it's been having some pretty decent success. The majority of these guys that come through the doors again have this father wound. And when, when that's spoken to, dude, we got your back. I had a guy come in one time and, you know, he was tripping that he was going to be a dad. And so what I did was I just made, I cheerleaded. I said, dude, you understand? Being a dad is freaking awesome. Look at that. We showed them the ultrasound. I go, look, that's your freaking nose. Look at that nose. Just made it all exciting. And they began to recognize this is, a, I was made to do this. They know it, but when someone they consider to be an authority figure in their life is speaking that to them, they see it, then it just changes everything. Again, my, my, my focus is not to try to talk any, anybody out of anything. I just want them to see how valuable they are and how valuable that life is. Years ago, I had an idea. I didn't know it was going to work, but it turned out to be very successful for a couple of years. We had a thing we call Mighty Men Mondays, and we did it during football season. What I would do is encourage the men to meet with me at my offices straight from work. We'd have food and pizza, things prepared, and then we'd have a little bit of a time to, to talk, and then we'd watch the first half of the game up until halftime. And then they would go home in enough time to go watch the rest of the game if they wanted to. But it turned out they didn't want to leave. They wanted to keep hanging out and keep talking about the things of God. And I thought, what a great outreach that was. So awesome. just we need the strategy of the Lord, right? Dr. Cole used to say that the glory is in the victory. The wisdom is in the strategy. And so God's given you an incredible strategy here. And how can people find out more about the Dad's Academy? Is there a website? You go to uh, dad-eacademy.com. Um, you also, um, we have a Facebook page. I have a thing on Facebook. Um, we're, we're doing some podcasts called the Dad Academy Network, where we just interview guys. As a matter of fact, you, I interviewed you. It was a great interview, as a matter of fact. We have Roundtable Testament, and it's to grab a brother and just, hey, dude, tell me about your life and tell me what, the, just like you're doing, give me nuggets that have uh, you held on to in the midst of all the heaviness that you can share with other guys that are out there. We'll make sure we put a link on our show notes and also on our uh, video and on our podcast uh, for people to look at as well to go straight to it because it's a great and amazing resources. I know that some of the videos you've put out, the less are amazing resources, not just for men, but I think ultimately it impacts families, impacts men and women. Right. In our final couple of minutes, I want you to pray into and address this. 
every boy or girl, I believe, as a child, dreams of visions of grandeur, something of greatness. Mm -hmm. But somewhere along the way, things in life happen that knock the wind out of us, and we lose sight of those childhood dreams. What would you say to young men and women right now, to others maybe grown who've never really grown up in some ways? How do you get the passion back for the dreams that you don't have to give up on your dreams because you've went through some life issues, but that even through unexpected challenges and detours in life, how do we keep that passion alive and know that God is a God of redemption to give us a place, an opportunity to to fulfill dreams? If I'm talking to a couple of different audiences, if if I'm talking to believers, I would say, you know what, man, Um, it's important for you to recognize that you did not all of a sudden come up with that passion. It was something that God gave you, but because he gave it to you, God's going to see it through. It's keeping your eye on the one who gave you the dream to begin with. And, and what, what I'm saying by that is that my biggest dream, I just want to be a, a great husband and a great father. And, and recognizing that being the father that I've always wanted to my sons, I vicariously fathered myself through them. So the dream that I had was, was that. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to be anything other than be a good dad, but I knew that I had to provide for my family. There were things that God would put in place. So I would say to um, believers, I'd say, you know what, guys, um, I would keep my eyes fixed on the one who gave you the passion to begin with. Look at an athlete that you hold dear. Look at a, I don't know, an actor that you hold dear and see the issues that they had to face in order to pursue and obtain their dreams. They never, um, they probably gave up, but they kept their eyes on that pride. Keeping your eye on the, despite this, I know know the circumstances are crazy and they look impossible, but I'm telling you, if you feel as if that's something that you, you know that you're called to do, even if you're married and you think, okay, I have to sacrifice this in order to have that, you can still obtain it. It's like keeping your eyes focused on that, no matter what comes. Just read Dwayne Rock Johnson's biography. Him not having a dad. His dad was just, you know, in and out of his life kind of thing, but he kept his eyes focused on what he wanted to do. And my point is, is that the key is not giving up. I want to say this real quickly. I'm trying to get to the point, but I don't know if you guys remember that movie, uh, Rudy. She had a dream. I just want to play for the, for Notre Dame. That's all I want to do. I don't care. So he got a beaten. I mean, every, and finally, out of all the mess, had an opportunity to play, what, 30 seconds of a game. Do you remember that African-American janitor who played for the Irish, who then said it was because of my color that I messed myself up? What got me is that he told Rudy, he said, listen, you have been able to play for for a few seconds for one of the uh, greatest teams, uh, college teams on, on the planet. Then he said, and in the process, you got a degree, a physical education degree from the University of Notre Dame, and you didn't even know you did it. My point is, <laughs> dreams were fulfilled because he kept his eyes focused. No matter what the hurting was, he kept his eyes focused on it. So I think keeping your eyes focused and allow that to be the magnet to your dreams, it'll, it'll work out. We were talking about earlier in our conversation that God will give us promises, but sometimes we have to go through the wilderness process for God to do a work in us so we can handle possessing the land of promise. So there is always a process to get to the promise. Yes, sir. And uh, if we can learn those life lessons, I share with my family and friends all the time that every life experience can become a life lesson that becomes part of my life message. And so no matter what I've been through, good or bad, good, bad, or ugly, if I can learn from them, mm-hmm. God can turn those things that were meant for harm into good 
and all things work out for the good for those who love God and called according to his purpose. And I realize a lot of why I would, I would not have chosen for my own life. If I look back now and go, wow, God in his providence has used all those circumstances to help me become the man I am today. Mm -hmm. I like what T.D. Jake said, and, and Otto, you and I were there. I don't know why I had to speak after him. <laughs> you did uh, great. Bro. Don't even go there. You did awesome. But he said something that so resonated with me that I've been sharing ever since in the last couple of years, when he said, sometimes he looks in the mirror and he says, T.D., you're not the man you used to be. You can't physically do what you used to do. And he went down this list of what he can't do. But then he was reminded by the Holy Spirit, but you are today's man, and you're still Todd's man tomorrow. Right. I thought, that's it. I may not be able to pump the weights I used to do or do what I used to do, but you know what? I'm still God's man today. And I think we have a world today that desperately needs role models. Thank you for you being a role model to all of us and an, an example. You are, as I share out of Isaiah 9, El Gabor is the God of the champion, God of the hero. That's the Lord himself. And yet we get to be those Gabors. We get to be champions. We get to be heroes to others because of the El Gabor who gives us the supernatural capacity to do what we cannot do on ourselves or mm -hmm. on our own. So thank you, Otto, for spending the time with us today. Thank you for being a great friend and example. And thank you for all you continue to do to reach families, to reach individuals, men and women, boys and girls all over the world. Would you close us in a prayer? Uh, first of all, thank you, man, for having me. I really appreciate you, um, you know, and uh, whether or not you want to receive this, you you know, you've been always a, a pretty strong role model in my eyes. You know, when you did some things back in the day for all those, uh, those homeless kids and brought them into your own house, your own apartment and did what you did and then got into the whole fitness thing. Now you've been a, you've been a hero for a while, my friend. So, um, and I recognize that, you know, you don't like hearing stuff like that, but you know, I know you'll humbly receive it. You keeping your eyes focused on Jesus, it, even in the midst of trying times where the Lord could have took you home and you, you believed that you had more things to do and you held on to him. You kept your eyes focused on him. So my point is, bro, you, you are one of those heroes as well. So thank you for your example. Father, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you continue to amaze us with uh, the utilization of individuals like us, Lord, who recognize within ourselves we have nothing to offer, nothing to bring to the table. All that we have is yours. All that we aspire to be is what you desire for us to be, Lord. Father, we recognize that we in and of ourselves are nothing, but we submit ourselves afresh to you this day. Thank you for my brother. Thank you for Dr. Doug, Lord God, who continues to keep his eyes focused and fixed upon you, the author and finisher of his faith. I thank you, Lord God, that you continue to minister through him globally, and you continue to minister to us through him as well. So Lord, I just pray for what perhaps you've said through us. May it uh, do exactly what you want it to do, accomplish exactly what you want it to accomplish, and minister uniquely and powerfully, Lord God, to people who need to hear you and desire to be inspired by your goodness and your glory. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.